Whoops, Josh just accidentally joined. Uh, welcome to uh, Legal Tech Week uh, for October 14th, 2022. Um, and uh, sorry, I'm just uh, booting somebody out of the <laughs> uh, And this is Bob Ambrogi, uh, and uh, this is the program in which we talk about the top stories in legal tech and innovation for the past week. And uh, our panelists uh, here today, uh, as you see them, uh, are, uh, let's, let's start with uh, Joe. You want to introduce yourself? Sure. Uh, I'm Joe Patrice from Above the Law and the podcast Thinking Like a Lawyer. I am not feeling my best, but you know, that's uh, the real lesson here is that this show must go on no matter how I feel. So we're going to push forward. All right. And uh, Stephanie, welcome back. Want to introduce yourself? Yes, I can unmute myself also. Um, <laughs> I'm Stephanie Wilkins. I'm editor-in-chief of Legal Tech News at ALM. And Nikki Black. Uh, my name is Nikki Black, and I have a new title. So I'm going to... You have a new <laughs> title. I do because I, I actually advocated for this because my title was so ambiguous and literally like no one internally or externally could tell what I did from my title. So um, my so now you're a legal tech archduchess or something like that. Right? Uh, like it... <laughs> How did you know? Okay, this, yeah, it got out. It got leaked. Um, no, but it's I, I also am celebrating my uh, tenure and so sort of the uh, aligned with that. Um, just as Josh was last time we were together. Um, but so my new title is a senior director of SME, meaning subject matter expertise and external education, partly because of some new programs I'm going to be spearheading that um, are sort of external facing. So that is my uh, new title. All right, the pressure <laughs> and is And uh, um, that title is with my case. I think I may have neglected that. It's <laughs> with my case and I, um, I write- Still the same job, just different title or different job, same title, something. Same, similar job, but with a little bit, uh, some ex a little bit of external facing stuff going on. So it'll be cool. I'm All gonna right. grow right. some well, programs. But anyway, um, I write legal tech columns for ABA Journal, blah, blah, Daily Record. And I write some reports on the my case side too. So anyway, right. now to Caroline. <laughs> now to Caroline, whose title yeah. probably is still the same since last time. Yeah, so I have got the same title. Caroline Hill, Editor-in-Chief of Legal IT Insider. Uh, apologies for my very blurry, low-light screen. I'm not in my office, but it's good to be here. Thank you for having me. <laughs> All right. And uh, we'll we'll uh, be looking to Joshua Lennon to change his title any day now, too. Uh, and. Uh, Great to hear from that. So, so this was a busy week, uh, both uh, in terms of uh, things to write about, things to talk about, and uh, in our own activities. Uh, Joe, Stephanie, and I, along with Steve Embry, who can't make it today, were all at ClioCon this week. Nikki was sort of there, as she was there on the eve of it for the American Legal Technology Awards, but then uh, then slid out for the rest of the fun. And uh, so uh, we're going to be talking about all that and, and uh, maybe a few other stories as well. 
but, but Caroline, I'm glad you're here because uh, you wrote this week uh, about the loss of somebody who was really kind of a, a pioneer of, of legal tech journalism. Uh, somebody, I don't know if a lot of people on the call might even have ever met him. I, I met him only a few times physically uh, at, at conferences here in the United States, but I'm, I'm talking about Charles Christian, who was the uh, the founder of, of the Orange Rag. I wonder if you could say a little bit about him. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, it's a, a sort of devastating week, to be honest, because Charles was a friend of mine as, as well. And um, But so, yeah, he founded the Orange Rag uh, in 1995 and uh, he really was um the original um in, in terms of building so talking about legal tech so his first uh orange rag was in paper and he the reason it's called the orange rag is because it, they he used to charge for it and it was orange so that people couldn't photocopy it and share it without paying 49p or whatever it costs at the time um that's why we've got the name the orange rag um and i looked at the first copy that he wrote um in 1995 and he was talking about um, this law firm, this company that was helping law firms if they wanted to have a presence on the internet, right? <laughs> and and it was this big thing like, do you want to have pre- do you want to have a website? Um, which is just incredible when you think about in '95. So I just graduated from university, and my first job I didn't have a computer, um, and he was very um, a, a permanent fixture in those early days. He was really one of the only resources, and and he was kind of the the, the orange rag was the Bible um, that people. So many people since he's passed away have come out um, in, on LinkedIn and said that he really was their source of everything, you know. And he was kind of helped to form their careers, and um, so he really is. He's, he retired, so I took over in twenty fourteen, and he. He was he'd had a health scare then and he's had some lovely years since then working with horses and on his farm and well he's he's got some land and had some land and he, he was very keen to retire from then and, and really did retire from legal tech in 2016 but he's been doing weird science writing he, he writes about norfolk tales and, and weird fiction so he's been writing quite prolifically um ever since retiring from legal tech but even though he retired in 2016 properly i think he's still so missed you know the, the comments on LinkedIn show that he's he's going to be so missed and people are so grateful to him so many people have come forward with all their stories about why they're grateful to him and how he helped them and what a funny person he was um so it's been a really sad sad week and a big loss yeah and his post-legal tech writing was really fascinating too and I I, I think you can yeah. still find some of it on Amazon I haven't looked recently but I know I've I've bought a couple of actually Kindle books of his uh, from Amazon so no uh, if you look on if people are interested the urban fantasist is his website and you can still find links to um books that he's written and the weird the weird Norfolk tales and all of, and he was he, he was just about to have a new book published so hopefully that will still happen yeah, well, sorry, sorry for that loss. No, well, thank you for bringing that up. Yeah. Um, well, uh, so probably the, the 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 big event this week, and and Nikki and Caroline, this this might might bore you a little bit, except except that I think there's possibly some some general observations here about the state of of conferences uh, more broadly. I mean, the, the Stephanie and Joe and I were at were at Clio. Uh, Sure. Besides Joshua in the audience, I'm sure there's some others in the audience who might have been there as well. Um, and uh, I, you know, I wrote a post about it. Um, 
in which I, my, the, the, the title of it was that it was, you know, slightly off its A game, but still the best conference in legal tech. Uh, and I found it a really difficult post to write, uh, in, in part because I have been, so I've always been a, a consistent fan of this conference. I've always, since the very first one, thought it's one of the best, if not the best legal tech conferences out there, if not legal conferences out there. Uh, and, uh, and yet something this year just felt a little bit off. And, and, and again, if it, if it had just been me feeling that, I'm not sure I would have even written what I wrote, but just having, I just had so many conversations with people. They were all kept kind of saying the same thing, that something was different about the vibe, something was different about the conference this year, it just felt a little bit off. Uh, and, uh, you know, I, I, I just felt like I, I really couldn't write about it honestly without kind of pointing out that side of it as well as the good of it. And it's it's still probably the best conference in, in legal tech uh, out there. And uh, I, you know, that was kind of the other funny thing in talking to people about it is just about everyone who was saying it's a little bit off was also saying, but it's still the best conference. So a weird kind of a thing. And I, you know, it's so difficult to kind of separate the conference from the venue because I, I really didn't like the venue and I think a lot of people didn't like uh, the venue too much. Um, it was a, an odd kind of a place. I mean, in, in, in my write-up, I, I suggest that it, it might have been designed by architects uh, inspired by M.C. Escher and, and his sort of odd graphical drawings. So that's interesting. I, I went a different one. <clears throat> My story is not up yet, but it will be in the next 20 minutes or so. So, uh, But I said that it was designed by somebody trying to bring back Gozer the Gozerian. So like the same same logic. Yeah. I've also heard Mall of America is another. I saw somebody else post on LinkedIn analogizing it to the, comparing it to the Mall of America. Well, I was uh, going to say, having come there straight from Vegas, it seemed like somebody thought Vegas casinos were too easy to navigate and wanted to make it more confusing. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I wasn't at the conference, but I was at that, um, the um, Gaylord Resort. And, you know, I, I would suggest one of the challenges is as the conference grows, it's difficult to find venues that can support that Absolutely. Uh, large amount of growth. And so, um, and I think people tend to want to have it in different places. So you're not always stagnant in the same location either. There's only so many venues you can choose probably. So and I, obviously I wasn't at the conference, but that venue did kind of suck. But I think that it's partly given by the fact that the conference has grown and they have so many people. And and plus, you know, you live and you learn. You, They've never held a conference there before, you know. So right. uh, I, I definitely found the venue was challenging and I think that might be why. So it's almost like a good problem to have, I would suggest. And so- well, two things see, about- Go ahead. I was gonna say, I can see the appeal because it's, one of the biggest attractions in Nashville, and I myself had always been curious about it and wanted to see it without having actually gone to it. And then realizing, A, it's not really in Nashville. B, it's giant. I, yeah, so I mean, I get the appeal of it. It's very much a draw, but functionally, I think that was more where the problem is. Yeah, just on that point of the, them getting too big. I mean, the, the conference, the last conference in San Diego in 2019 was the same number of in-person attendees, roughly about 2,000. Uh, and that venue did not have any of these problems. And, you know, uh, so, but, but again, I, as you say, live and let learn. I mean, it's not, 
I don't think it's necessarily Cleo's. Uh, you can't blame Cleo for the venue necessarily. Well, a little bit, I guess they picked it. But I mean, Ilta has been at that at that venue any number of times, and and will be returning to that venue. And apparently, they like it, and it's probably probably worked for them. And they're an even bigger conference. Um, so, you know, I I, I don't know uh, what to say about that. But how many people do they have roughly at ClioCon? Two thousand live and a thousand online. Yeah, wow. three thousand. So they did go virtual as well this year. That's interesting. Yeah, so they did virtual too. That's also difficult too to put on a conference virtual and in person, and to have the conference um, set up in a way that it will facilitate that. So that might have complicated matters too. I mean, I, yeah. I, they do. A, they've always heard that they've done a great job. So um, you know, I wonder if the venue contributed to a lot of that. And they had a watch party in London too, so could have been with other people. Like I, I do think, I think the hotel is probably most of what made us feel a little off, uh, which is something outside, you know, as you said, at most indirectly, uh, Cleo's issue. Uh, it just, it's just difficult to have something in that kind of a place. And like uh, Stephanie points out that Vegas is the only other place with convention centers that large kind of, uh, yeah, but Vegas ha is dedicated to the idea of you being able to funnel yourself to fun. Uh, this place seemed less interested in that beyond you doing your conventioning. So that I think was a large part of the problem. Or water yeah. Did Colin Lee, sorry. <laughs> Go ahead. Colin says, um, I think conferences will feel more normal as they happen in person more frequently and we need to regain our in-person humanness in some ways. I actually have to say, so I think Colin, you were at Legal Geek. I was at Legal Geek and I was also at Clock in London. And um, actually what's weird is that people feel conferenced out. Like we've only done sort of, we've done ILTA and then obviously you've done this one, I've done Legal Geek and, and we, I get exhausted. I like we had to escape. I'm probably laughing. Like, I had to escape to the bar rather than. <laughs> but um, but no, I mean, and I, and and I think we get. I get exhausted much sooner than I would have done. Um, that's one thing I've really noticed. So it raises an interesting question. Uh, it, because going back to the same venue next year for for CleoCon, assuming they invite me back, uh, and. Uh, so what do they do? I mean, is, is there a way to make it work in that venue? Obviously, it worked very well in that venue, but is there, is there a way to make it venues? Is there a way to, to sort of better lay out the venue or the conference space or something else? I mean, I, I, I suggest that a little bit just I, I thought, for instance, just one of the perhaps one of the things that could be addressed is that that so registration area, which is like a, a big, big area that you had to kind of walk across to get to certain meetings and walk way back across the other way to get to other other meetings. But they didn't they maybe could have made better use of, of that whole central space there, maybe somehow kind of made it feel a little tighter or something or more compact or more or had some other stuff there. But I, I'm not sure what else. The problem I had more was not the conference space, it was the rest of it. So there were yeah. signs everywhere advertising CleoCon, but if I was ever outside of my little Delta part of the that quarter of the hotel, I could not find my way back, or I could not, <laughs> it took me 20 minutes to find where the bus was going to something where my room to the conference was fine. And again, I don't think that's Cleo's fault at all. It's just, 
maybe with the signage, even just more arrows or station a couple people for everyone who's completely lost. Because like this first night we were there, Joe having been there for a few hours was trying to give people directions because he was the only one who'd been there yet and knew anything. And I was still awake that late at night, um, I, having nothing to do with anything else. I'm sure I was just, I, I'm sure it was insomnia, but I did happen to be in the lobby area weirdly near that bar uh and i was able to give directions to people so yeah were they the right directions though joe i actually i did get actually pretty good at it by the end somebody uh a person not related with the conference actually asked me for directions at one point and i said hold on here's what you gotta do <laughs> yeah uh, i just put in the post there was a jack jack did uh put a uh uh, a thread in Twitter uh, addressing some of the issues we talked about, and and you know what one was just that sort of the logistical uh, failures of that first night party, which uh, you know the the concert was probably great. I didn't go to it, but I think a lot of people ended up not going it just because the 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 you know the lead into the concert was was just a, kind of a fiasco and. People were hungry and thirsty and, uh, you know, waiting long lines to uh, try and get any food or drink uh, in separate lines. So, um, but, but I, you know, I think another thing uh, is that he, I think he, what Jack, something Jack said that I think is right is he wrote that, uh, you know, on that feeling of, of something feeling off, he said a lot of people feel off right now. The world feels off. I'm thankful 3,000 people took two days out of their year to try to shake off that feeling and to celebrate innovation and connection, but there's a weight to it. I think that's yeah. a legitimate point, and, and I think I we think are still true. a little bit off. I would also say one thing that's in my piece is I feel like there's also something to be said for obviously getting bigger is a big deal, uh, but I also thought maybe there's something kind of musing here and and brainstorming maybe there's something to be said for just the the whole concept of the conference has changed naturally in a way that was inevitably going to move mm. towards it being not what we remember if you go back 10 years and you gathered together a bunch of people smalls and solos embracing technology you're dealing with a trailblazer set who want who need who need hand holding, but also want to celebrate that they have the courage to go out and do things, making it much more of a raw, raw, intimate networking kind of an event. Uh, I don't think it's fit. Yeah, I don't think you can say that Smalls and Solos embracing technology in 2022 are trailblazers at this point. I, it's it's par for the course, which means that it just naturally isn't like, hey, we're the cool out. We're the cool outsiders who decided to get technology into our lives. Like everybody's got it now. So just that that shift changes a lot of the culture around it right like when you're when you're part of a, like this elite set of people who've decided to take the plunge it's just gonna feel different um i mean i i still think that ultimately the hotel is what i blame but that might be part of it too that the culture is just going to naturally change by its audience so it's not just the cool kids anymore <laughs> everyone else has invaded the cool kids lunch table <laughs> yeah yeah, I mean, like, and like, and obviously there is still help there. There's the downstairs where you can meet with Clio support people and they can walk you through any problems you're having and all that sort of stuff. But I also felt like a lot of that was less necessary than it had been in the past because you're dealing with a more mature set of folks. Um, 
which I think was visible in the theming of the rest of the show being much more like technology was tangential. I like Jack's thing said that there were three prongs and technology was one, but it struck me that a lot, a lot of the stuff was not so much about technology, but about just general business of small law stuff that technology played a part in, but that was the discussion. And I think that speaks to like the clientele has changed. This is a group of people who use Clio for a purpose, not people who are excited about talking about how they use Clio. See, I find this whole aspect of the discussion interesting, this having been my first ClioCon, that, I mean, all of the issues that I saw with making it hard to connect with people were logistical to me, where if you all thought that this one didn't feel rah-rah, <laughs> I'm kind of confused what it used to look like, because you literally <laughs> had people running and dancing, and there was line dancing, and there was everything, it felt very rah-rah compared to some other conferences I've gone to, so... That's just a curious note to me. <laughs> Any conference with Jesse feels rah-rah. Like, <laughs> um, I mean, I, I, we probably should also say, since since we have complained so mightily about the treatment of the press at certain other conferences, uh, we should probably take a moment to talk about how superbly professional uh, is, is CleoCon's everything in in dealing with the press uh, i thought and you guys i don't i don't think you guys would disagree with me on that i mean from all of the pre-conference preparation to you know making sure that you have all of the materials and all of the bios and all of the information you're going to need about anybody you might be talking to to then having the pot you know I, I love that they have the podcast section set up at the conference as they did in san diego um I like I didn't like the location quite as much as in San Diego, where it was right more adjacent to the exhibit hall, as I recall. But uh, um, it was still a great location, and uh, you know, and the the uh, Pamela and others who were there to help the press are just like it's just so helpful with with any kind of a question you have, and and uh, I mean. They, they really they, they treat us as welcome members of the conference, not as some kind of alien invader or something. Yeah. Oh, wait, so, there so any you... mandatory meetings? <laughs> no so, yeah, 6 a.m. Was... mandatory meetings, no push ups required or anything. like I was that. just was... I was just going to say, <laughs> like, I missed I missed the part where we went into a small dungeon room with no <laughs> snacks or drink and got a press <laughs> conference every morning. That's what I would look forward to at some conferences. So. <laughs> Yeah, none of that. Oh, did you know? Did you notice also that you were allowed to eat food there? I know some other conferences <laughs> don't do that, but we were allowed to have food, like like humans. Yeah. Oh, everyone right. was everyone was utterly delightful. I would have to say, and I, having joined late, Pamela is a godsend of a human being, and it was fantastic. Yep. Yep. For sure. I'm jealous. Um, yeah, and, and Joshua was saying we thought putting it in the podcast area next to the keynote room would give you maximum exposure to attendees. That that could be that could be true. I I, I don't really have any problem with where it was. It, it worked out fine where it was, uh, um, and it was the nice thing about it was it could be it was probably a little bit quieter than some of the other places we we might have had it. And 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 the ever accommodating Pamela was able to shut off the music that was playing through the speakers when we were recording, which was also helpful. Uh, all right. Uh, well, 
what else? Anything else you want to say about ClioCon before we move on to maybe we should uh, also talk a little bit about the American Legal Technology Associations, which was, I don't know, adjacent, piggyback, whatever on the ClioCon. Joe, I know you wrote a little bit about it. But... Yeah, I wrote about uh, the Alties or whatever we call them. Do we have a name for them? The American Legal Technology Awards. All right, I'm going with Alties. We'll see if that sticks. Altas. Okay, that might be that might be the right answer. Uh, anyway, so I, you know, we, those of us who went to Clio plus Nikki all attended those. Uh, obviously, this is the this is a relatively new award, but you know, this is the first time we've really been able to do it in person uh, as opposed to some kind of a virtual thing. So it was exciting to have like an awards gala uh, to talk about innovation and to award some people who have been doing it in, in ways that really help people out. Uh, I chatted with, for a while with, you know, folks who were uh, helping tenants be able to protect their rights, you know, uh, so there was one of the winners was an organization that helps you easily expunge a criminal record if you're legally eligible to do that. Uh, these are kind of important uses of technology that we all applaud here and there in our, especially in our coverage, but you know, it's, you know, it's one of those things. It's nice to be able to have an award and say you got an award. And so I think what Kat, Tom and Patrick have done kind of by building this out is useful. Uh, and I'm glad that it's there, um, you know, thanks to all of you who were judges. I know some of you all have done that. Uh, like Nikki, you were a judge, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's very useful and I'm glad that uh, folks are out there doing this. I thought it was nice that it was a separate entity. It's the, these awards were separate from anything else. Cause oftentimes awards like this are attached to a conference. Um, and sometimes they get, you know, they will get written about, but they kind of get lost in the shuffle a teeny bit. And granted, these were in a loose way attached to a conference, but they weren't actually part of the conference. So they really were their own um, event. And it was just a nice way for different people in the profession um, and in the industry that are uh, innovating and um, taking steps to increase access to justice to get the attention and recognition that they deserve. So I thought it was wonderful. I enjoyed being on I the panel and I enjoyed actually having the opportunity to present the one of the awards that I had been on the judge panel for so that was nice as well. Yeah, I thought it was Great. fantastic and and the only like it went off mostly without a hitch except there was one presenter who just didn't get off the stage when they were supposed to but the point is um <laughs> and forgot to give an award. There was another person too, that did that too but I won't, <laughs> I won't name names but it wasn't the only one. But yeah. Yeah, I I uh Maybe maybe I, sometimes I think I'm just getting to be grumpy, old Bob, because I I I really like the awards. I'm really glad they did it. I like the the concept of it and all of that. I I felt like having it on uh, the eve of Clio and and attached to Clio sort of wasn't the right place for me, only because you get to Clio and you want to see people, you want to socialize, you want to start you know, just kind of getting into Clio and instead you then sit there for a three hour dinner, uh, two and a half, I don't know. Uh, and it just wasn't the mood, I, it just wasn't kind of the, I felt like it was like the wrong mood for for uh, for the kickoff of Clio, even though I understand it wasn't a formal Clio kickoff event, but uh, maybe, maybe I would have liked to see it. Maybe, maybe like after Clio or something. And and then I didn't want to get dressed up either. Yeah, <laughs> I don't. I, I've been to uh, too many rubber chicken things over the years that uh, 
I, I don't look forward to anymore. Yeah, I, I get I get that idea that it should be that you want to feel more standalone. But the, the problem is, it's just <laughs> we're already talking about how we we're already talking about how we don't like going to uh, um, we're getting exhausted going to a couple of conferences a year. Uh, if you had another thing we had to travel to, it would be onerous. So I, I like that it's quasi piggybacking, I should say. Yeah, no, it's true. And, and now that Dennis it, Kennedy mentions it, what is with this whole cloud thing? I'm kind of tired of that too. <laughs> <laughs> they should put they should put the award winners on the website for the American Legal Technology Awards. Like it's a simple point, but they haven't. Um, so I think if anyone's listening, if anyone listens in, you should just put like a little announcement of who won. My post, my post, which is in the chat, does have the winners. Uh, but yeah, I think they haven't gotten around to putting them on the official website, but they do have it because yeah. they sent it to me. So I know they have it. Yeah, yeah because yeah. they stuck it up on the site, so it's easy for people to find, like me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> when I was just looking at it while you were talking. <laughs> yeah, it just to let me be clear. I'm a strong proponent of the awards. I was a, a so-called media sponsor, although I don't know what that really meant. But, uh, uh, you know, I, I think it's great to uh, have awards like that that recognize achievements in, in legal technology. Uh, it was just to me, it was just the, the that that moment, the timing of it was a little bit for me uh, didn't quite work. But uh, yeah. and maybe the format just needs to be changed a little was their first in person one and that feedback. Yeah. I, you know, it's always like a learning experience and that feedback maybe will if I think you've got to attach to a conference. I mean, you just do, you're not going to get the yeah. people there otherwise. And so maybe creating um, a uh, format where there's the ability to interact more and it's less of a formal sit down, maybe it's grazing, you know, and people yeah. are buffet and grazing and the band playing most of the time rather than everyone wanting to go outside and talk and the band got stuck in there playing their wonderful music and nobody was in there with yeah. them. So. Yeah, they First used to do this at Legal Week or Legal Tech in the old days. They would always have this sort of formal, you know, dress up awards gala thing. Uh, and that just kind of fizzled out after a few years. And uh, well, not after a few, we went on for many years. But at some point, it just started to fizzle out because people just weren't as much into that kind of an event. But maybe, so maybe if anybody here is a sponsor, they could they could talk to mm -hmm. them and help help redesign it next year. All right. So, um, so yeah. So, what's the next story on? Bob complains about something and then <laughs> frantically walks it back. Right, that no, seems to be the theme so far. <laughs> well, I feel bad. You know, I don't. I don't like to always be. I, I don't want to be too negative about it, but uh, it just wasn't my. Are you different. suffering from seasonal affective disorder, Bob? <laughs> Maybe that's it. <laughs> Maybe you need some vitamin D. <laughs> I'd yeah, like just to say so you know, therapy, but it's not like Joe's got COVID. <laughs> I don't. <laughs> Which Stephanie gave him, apparently. It was like yeah. miserable. <laughs> I, I, I don't <laughs> nor did I give it to Joe. We, <laughs> we, rumors. we don't. We, it turns out you can get sick doing, you know, like with like other things, and apparently colds are one of them. Ugh. I know. I had forgotten that was a thing, too. <laughs> uh so i did we even oh uh, let's see nikki i know you've got a story and then caroline did you have anything other than charles christian I, yeah no i can i can talk about the um uh, mass claims um sort of story where we're moving more towards your model but nikki can go first that's fine and, and then i can talk about that afterwards 
Um, well, I included this one because I get so excited when my um, daily record articles get picked up by one of the other Bridgetower Media um, uh, publishers and gets posted online where it's not behind a paywall. So this is one of the ones that was published somewhere else, but not behind a paywall. So I was super excited because people can actually read about it because it's kind of hard to talk about things when no one can read it. So um, I, this was, uh, I always, because I'm from New York, I always like to track um, what's happening in New York and what, uh, New York always tends to be kind of cutting edge when it comes to ethics and that type of thing. And so um, I just thought that this was an interesting ethics decision uh, by the um, New York bar and it addressed um, discovery demands for uh, hard drives. And when that happens and a lawyer um, is faced with a discovery demand um, of that nature, and there's other confidential client information from different clients on the hard drive that are not involved in litigation, uh, what the lawyer's obligations are in that situation in terms of protecting the confidentiality of other people who may not have waived the attorney-client privilege, but their information is nevertheless on the hard drive. Um, and so I just thought that it was interesting. And they uh, essentially said that you needed to get the consent of the clients that um, are not, that have not waived attorney-client privilege. And then you need to take a number of steps um, should they not consent to uh, um, uh, eliminate the impact of the disclosure of their information. And they list them in the opinion. Uh, there's a number of them, so I'm not gonna go through all of them, but essentially, you know, it's just, I'm always interested in the ethics opinions um, about technology because that's partly what helps move the bar forward uh, is the these issues being addressed, guidance being provided to lawyers, and then it makes it easier for them to, uh, you know, innovate and take advantage of new technologies, knowing that what they're doing is, has been given the blessing, or at least they've got guidance in terms of how to move forward. And so this one I just thought was interesting because it, uh, addresses a common situation and provides some additional guidance that makes sure that uh, lawyers preserve the client confidentiality. Nothing cer certainly groundbreaking, but um, I was just super excited that it wasn't behind the paywall. So <laughs> there was that too. So, um, so I, I'm, su I, I'm surprised you didn't point this out because I think this is a sort of a non-cloud ethics opinion, right? I mean, this is because this data was all on a single hard drive. And they had this issue of of not being able to segregate um, the data from clients who are, aren't involved in the e-discovery matter from the client that is, or or clients that are. I don't know if it's plural, but but I'm what is wondering. So I was reading and trying to figure out if this if this data had all been in the cloud, would this even have been an issue? That's a really interesting point, um, and I think it's a really relevant one. That is one of the benefits of the cloud is that you can segregate data, you can um, you can address permissions like who can access certain types of data. So you could, if your data was stored in the cloud, depending on the functionality of the software, you could isolate only that information that was specifically requested and um, only allow permission for certain people to access it. Uh, so I think that's a really good point. It shows the deficiencies um, and risks of using uh, hard drives um, and premise-based storage systems versus the cloud. Uh, and I think that's a really good point. It would absolutely would have solved this issue, I think. So, I think so. Uh, one yeah. more reason why lawyers need to use the cloud. Yeah. <laughs> Check. And I think I agree with Joshua in the comment that it seems like a really overly broad discovery request, but that, you know, doesn't 
I, I mean, yeah, I mean, it, they still have to, uh, they're still going to have to probably provide, uh, you know, maybe it could have also been addressed through a, a meet and confer or something that could have narrowed the scope of it, but interesting. But at least, at least the lawyers in Muskegon County are now well-educated on this issue. Uh, any other comments on that? All right, uh, Caroline, what was your story? When I said mass actions, I meant class actions. My brain's not working. <laughs> so obviously in the UK, like in, in the US, class actions are huge. Um, they haven't been even allowed. So the opt-out type model of class actions, which you are so familiar with, have not been a thing over here. But there was a there was an act in 2015, the Consumer Rights Act, which kind of opened the door. Then there was a decision in the Supreme Court in 2020, which... Um, sort of really started to pave the way for these opt-out type claims. Anyway, this is a this is a tech story. This is a product story. Um, but so ShieldPay, which um, is the online big, huge online payments um, company, which operates in the financial services industry and elsewhere, they've integrated with Case Pilots, which is um, a, one of the a leading um, administration platform for for um, class actions. And it's funny because with these product stories, so. I don't specialize in this area, but I was thinking, gosh, this seems, you know, I'm really interested in the growth. And um, I spoke to one of the our leading litigation um, partners, one of the big UK firms, David Green. He's at um, Edwin Coe. He's one of, one of the leading class action lawyers. And I said, in, in deciding, you know, how, how interesting is it? And um, I said, could you give me a comment? And he went, marriage made in heaven. <laughs> and um and he said, you know, this is just another step in it paving the way because obviously the payment of damage, the mechanism by which you pay these huge damages um, is, can be an issue. And so it's just another step. What, what's quite interesting about it, um, it's got bigger significance than, than just the fact that these two have integrated that in, in terms of the, the move towards class actions being becoming a real thing. So there's a class action against BT now. Um, there's a class action and there's, there's multiple. I should... Um, I'm not on my desk, but um, I can share. If you want to get in touch with me, I can share the link to it. It's just on legaltechnology.com. It's Shield Pay and Case Pilots. If you want to have a look and see. So I had a, look, a quick look at where we are with a few of the other big um, class actions. And there's um, so there's uh, there's one against Apple, which is 768 million. Um, and then there's this MasterCard one, which is which is sort of paved the way. Um, so yeah, so it's, 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 I just thought it was quite interesting in terms of the, that movement, as it were. There's anyone in the chat? You're just talking about Cleo. <laughs> 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 You're still talking about Cleo. That's what's happened. Yeah, no, I know. Let's talk about Cleo. Uh, any thoughts on that? Anybody? Anybody want to uh, think about that? Um, I appreciate it. UK centric. Yeah. yeah. Um, it is interesting what? that the UK and and the US have such different approaches to this. Like, um, don't worry. I, I'm sure in the US, in the depending on how elections go, we won't have class actions here either. So. It's... Yeah. We don't even have a government. Don't worry about it. <laughs> And we're both struggling with monarch issues. Well, well, right, because because you don't have a king yet. Uh, obviously, that's the most important part. <laughs> um, so one other thing, uh, again, not not to dwell 
overly on, on Clio, but not on the conference. But uh, the other big news out of Clio this week was the uh, the legal trends report was released during ClioCon. Uh, and uh, our, our uh, one-time panelist, Joshua Lennon, is out there uh, in the audience who did a, a whole lot of work on pulling that together. Uh, Steffi, I know you, you covered this a little bit too. Is anything that jumped out at you uh, or anything you want to point out about the legal trends report? Um, well, I was actually going to, it's, I guess it's kind of related because it sort of ties into this concept that, you know, clients want to meet virtually with their lawyers. But I was struck at the very beginning when Caroline was saying that the very, in 1995, the very first orange rag was talking about how should lawyers have websites. And now in 2022, Clio still has to introduce a product to help lawyers get websites because so many of them <laughs> don't have it. Like it's a little bit dismaying and just like lack of progress in legal technology. I was going to bring that up. Um, yeah, that is really interesting. I was I was think I was surprised at at the the the, the sort of the the reaction to that because I would have thought everybody's got a website, and yet you could even tell in the audience at ClioCon when they talked about that, there clearly there are people who are really glad to see that. So, yeah, I was shocked that I mean, seems basic to me. Not even tools, website that blew my mind, and so yeah. I just thought of that immediately when Caroline said that about 1995 in the beginning. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I thought so. Well, okay. And then so the other thing is uh, the, as I said, the uh, legal trends report did come out. You can find it uh, at at Clio's website. It's uh, Clio.com slash LTR, I believe. Is that right, Joshua? Uh -huh. I was um, about to do it, but I think somebody else has got it. Yep. There yeah. Yeah. All right. All right. Um, but, uh, you know, again, I, I think the interesting thing about it was that, uh, you know, it goes back to that kind of silver lining issue in a sense that uh, firms are doing pretty well right now overall. Business is up and matters are up and, and billing and collections are up. Uh, and, uh, you know, the, the theme of, of, of Jack's talk at, at at, at, in his keynote was this kind of idea of anti-fragility, this idea that there are certain kinds of organizations or it, 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 what analogy he was drawing was to law firms, that there are certain law firms that are just better positioned than others, not just better positioned, that in fact, uh, that, that can thrive in the face of stressors such as a pandemic or, or, or something like that. Uh, but it almost seems from the, from the Legal Trends report that uh, it, it, it's it, it even goes beyond even just those sort of anti-fragile law firms that that sort of across the board uh, uh, firms are, are are doing pretty well and uh, it's not even fair to say they're rebounding because in some cases these firms um, you know at least the ones who were certainly already in the cloud all that kind of came out of the gate running uh, even when the pandemic hit early on and and it's have never really suffered all that much. Well, and this was my. My piece on the opening keynote uh, really did focus on that part, which is the opening keynote uh, was a little weird, but it, it, I mean, it made sense for the audience, but it was a little weird because it was largely Jack introducing, hey, the legal trends report says everybody's doing great, actually. And Jack saying the economy is about to run into a brick wall and Jack saying, and you all are going to be okay because you're already ahead of the game. Uh, and while those seem like 
contradictory thoughts. That is kind of how I felt coming out of it, that like to the extent that there will always be a need for legal help to the extent that people are going to suffer in the legal industry under what's potentially about to happen. Uh, the people who've self-selected into this group are likely to be able to weather. Yeah. The other legal yeah. trends report thing that I noticed was, uh, and that I wrote about was that the legal trends report suggests that lawyers hourly billing rates are below the growth in CPI, meaning that if you think CPI is not transitory, but is like long-term impact on inflation, lawyers should increase their rates. I do not think that um, another keynote speaker, Neil Katyal, who charges $2,450, we all know from that news story, he probably doesn't need to increase his rate, but most lawyers do. I mean, he can yeah. if he wants, but I don't think that's what the report was suggesting. Right. Yeah, I think, uh, I, I mean, we've seen now, I mean, the, the to the extent that the, the uh, uh, Trends Report talked about these sort of anti-fragile law firms or resilient law firms, I mean, that backs up with some other surveys have shown the uh, the uh, Volters-Kluwer uh, Future Ready Lawyer Report that, that's been coming out every year kind of finds the same thing, essentially, that, that firms that are, you know, tech forward or that in the cloud or, or uh, uh, you know, have a good uh, a good tech foundation uh, are just better prepared for whatever it is that comes down the pike and are more likely to survive, not just survive it, but thrive uh, in the face of it. So that's a good thing. Uh, you know, the, the Legal Trends Report does also sort of, you know, validate the idea of the cloud. Uh, uh, not, not that any of us uh, on this panel need any further evidence of that. And, and uh, it, in some ways, it always seems funny that we're even still kind of talking about the benefits of the cloud. But uh, I thought some of the some of what was interesting about what was in the legal trends report was that it's it's not just that your you know your firm is going to be more efficient or more profitable by using cloud software, but things like the fact that. Uh, uh, lawyers who use cloud-based practice management platforms were 44% more likely to have positive relationships with their colleagues, 44% uh, more likely to want to work throughout the day rather, more likely to want to work throughout the day rather than a traditional nine to five schedule. That doesn't make sense. Uh, and 29% more likely to be happy in their professional life. So cl really cloud-based software even makes you happier and, and more collegial, I guess. So that's well, how do you point. determine that? You just ask them, how would you identify your happiness on a scale of one to 10? Do you, do you use the cloud and then how happy are you? And do you, if you don't use the cloud, how happy are you? I mean, how do you identify how happy they are, how much, how they get along with their clients better? Is it just from their own observations? Like, how are you... That, that I'm kind of interested in. How do you survey that? <laughs> well, I, I assume Josh, there's some, Josh yeah. Joshua said yes in the chat. Yeah. <laughs> Joshua okay. says basically, I mean, I assume you, you draw correlations between among, you know, across the data. I mean, if you first you're collecting, you're collecting data on who is or isn't using cloud-based practice management platforms, and then you're asking other data points about relationships with colleagues and how happy they are in their professional life and, and uh, remind, connecting the dots. You. This reminds me of that, and I'll get the exact details wrong, but you know where they, there's these perfect correlation between these data points in it, and they go, the, the, the same number of people who eat cheese die of getting tangled in their bed sheets. Have you seen that? Like, <laughs> <laughs> and it, and it Is that true? It 
absolutely perfectly. And it goes, well, therefore, there must be a correlation between eating cheese and dying by being tangled up in your bed sheets. <laughs> That's what I'm thinking. I mean, maybe they're happier because, you know, if they use people that use technology, tend to be, I don't know, optimists. I don't know, maybe that's the correlation. So <laughs> that one I think is interesting. I, I think there's tons of interesting conclusions from this report based on uh, um, what y'all are saying, but that one in particular kind of jumped out at me as a little, I don't yeah. suspect. Yeah. Yeah. I actually I, think that I think that stat in there about how lawyers not wanting to necessarily work a traditional nine to five actually does make a lot of sense to me because if you can, if you have the ability to, you know, I need to take this four hours off, but work two hours later at night, you are going to be happier. It's more about that work-life balance and it's about that control. So, um, I mean, that was sort of a factor that sort of got thrown in. I think people thought was a little bit weird, but to me, it makes total sense. Yeah. But, but the, my takeaway from the whole thing, because this is how my brain works about the hours people like to work is there was some group of lawyers willing to work every hour except 3 a.m. The only one, there were people willing to work at two and four, but 3 a.m. is me time for all lawyers is what That's because work. nothing good happens after 2 a.m. Isn't that the saying? They all know it. So they take an hour off just, to, <laughs> just in case. I also wanted to say, I know it's really easy to piecemeal, like a survey like this and a report takes a ton of time to put together and there's so many questions. And so it's super easy to like piecemeal what someone else has put together. So I don't mean to, that just that one conclusion just struck me as a little off. Uh, the rest of it sounds fantastic though, so. Yeah. Uh, and I guess one other thing in, in that report that we haven't quite talked about yet, that is this whole work-life balance issue I, I, or, or whatever you want to call it. But they, to, they, they, they found that uh, basically equal numbers of, of lawyers uh, cited salary increases and work-life balance as, as reasons for changing jobs. In other words, why, did you, why would you change a job? 37% said salary increase. 37% said work-life balance. So that's as important, uh, work-life balance is as important as money essentially in as a factor in, in why lawyers change jobs. Uh, I don't know, We don't. they don't know whether that's up or down because they haven't tracked that metric before. It's the first year they, they had that, but it'll be interesting to see how that tracks over time and whether work-life balance becomes even more important than money. As a quick, uh, quick aside, I don't have anything more to add to this, but it is interesting that you mentioned that because that is in that report. And uh, I also wrote a little bit about a, another report, uh, the Axiom report about in-house counsel that also found that in-house counsel now want to leave their jobs over work-life balance, which, I mean, maybe it's just me when I was a lawyer becoming an in-house counsel was work-life balance. <laughs> exactly. I don't understand. <laughs> what, I mean, I, unless something really changed, if these people want to go back to law firms for work-life balance, then something's way wrong. Maybe it's slightly more balanced, but not full balance. Yeah, yeah, I think you'd be surprised at how yeah. many hours in-house counsel put in. Yeah. I was speaking to a head of innovation at one of the really big firms today who was saying that this being, I mean, this is something that we've all probably had conversations about, but pe with people working from home, uh, they, I was sort of saying, oh yeah, tech, tech creating efficiency so people don't have to work at 3 a.m. <laughs> and he went, no, no. <laughs> he, said, he said, no, really, we really are doing better. He said, because people who are working at home don't have that loyalty and that collegiality and that corporate culture that you have from being in the office together at 3 a.m. He said, and I'm, we've probably all talked about this quite a lot, but 
I don't know. I just kind of thought it was quite interesting with all these surveys coming out. He's saying they're really starting to feel that we've talked about the great resignation. We've talked about all sorts of things, but the way he put it was quite interesting. You know, that they just, you just, they don't, we, they just don't have, they don't care as much because they're not there. And we've all done our stints, you know, in, in law and seen the kind of the hallways, you know, in the corporate practice when everybody's there at 3 a.m., maybe not 3 a.m., maybe 2 a.m. or 4 a.m., but like you're there and all together um but it was just interesting whereas at home <laughs> you know, you're not going to be like playing football with yourself down the corridor maybe it's harder to succumb to peer pressure over zoom yeah. <laughs> oh, i just no. i i just want to announce for everybody else what she means by football is soccer that's fine oh Go yeah on. sorry <laughs> <laughs> was my translator <laughs> yeah. well the last time i was up at 3 a.m was uh tuesday i think um Thanks to Cleo and yeah. Joe. Yeah, what, I, I no. What's crazy is I had all. I want to be clear. I'd gone home at that point. I think because I, I had a flight. So, to, oh, you may not remember being not, there. This is an even better story. I, I thought. I thought I left yeah. at about two. Was Maybe my recollection. But I yeah. Yeah, I think we were we were getting streetcar food <laughs> yeah yeah right we got streetcar food at like two uh yeah. because i then did have a flight at like 8 a.m so i had to hurry up <laughs> yeah yeah um one other thing was just in the in that survey 49 percent of lawyers expressed a preference to work from home is anybody surprised that it was that seems low to me <laughs> don't all lawyers want to work from home or i don't know i know i know no. they don't all the, but i would have thought it would partners be partners and yeah no N nikki said this before uh nikki has pointed out before that there's a there's a, a class of partner who's like i want to get away from all these people <laughs> meaning their family yeah. right. <laughs> yes hey, yes exactly their family right right the office oh, is their escape and i didn't necessarily I didn't necessarily think of home as technically at home, more so as remote. But if it's at home, I understand that more. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, that's yeah. fair. Yeah. I, they're, I like, they're excited to work from Starbucks. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Or the beach in their vacation house. I don't know. <laughs> All right. All right. Nikki, you're working on a report too, right? You're gonna. When are you coming? Are you coming out with your report sometime soon? You're doing a, a trans um, report. Well, there's two reports. First, the first is the three-part benchmark series report. And we just released the third part of that. And we're going to have a landing page with all three of them. Well, three, not five. And I will <clears throat> share the, I've shared the first two with a lot of you. Um, and then I'm also working on the second annual legal industry survey. Um, probably will be published in December. And then I'm just because of the holidays, we may put off um, uh, publicizing it and sharing it until officially sharing it till January, just because it's going to get lost in the shuffle, I think. So yeah, that is, right. I am working on that one. And it's, I, I'm actually just have one paragraph left in the conclusion of my final draft. And then I have to review it and get other people to look at it and get it formatted. And so we're getting there though. So stay tuned. All right. <laughs> All right. Well, All right. we've overcome sore throats and jet lag and other, other such things to hobble through uh, another hour of, uh, of our show and uh, appreciate all of you doing that and being here and We'll be back next week, and which point I'll find something else to complain about. <laughs> Until then, I hope you all stay well, and hope Joe and Stephanie, I hope you both feel better. Thanks, guys. Have a great weekend, all. And Caroline, you're sick too, right? <laughs> okay. See you all. Bye. Bye, everybody.